This morning's uh, scripture reading comes from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17, and 3, 4 through 6. So starting in Ephesians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In 2 Corinthians, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To, to, to one, a fragrance from death to death and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, today we are going to conclude our Graceville sermon series. Um, I don't know if you guys were aware. I might have, I think I said something about it a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, we hosted here at Christ Central uh, what we called the Rooted conference. And uh, four pastors did talks on the same stuff that we've been covering in our uh, grace-filled series, which is based on the discipleship and what I would describe as spiritual wellness material that's published by an international mission agency called Surge. Some of you know Surge uh, formally by the name, by the name formally Sonship or World Harvest Missions. Joining me in doing those lectures this week were Jamal Williams, uh, lead pastor of Sojourn, Sojourn Church in Louisville, Kentucky, Y Plummer, who preached for us a couple of weeks ago right here, and, and who's the African-American ministries coordinator for our denomination, and then finally Richard Barnes, campus pastor at Mercy Church right here in Charlotte. And your own, right, first lady, right, uh, Kelly, and director of worship, 
and then our assistant pastor, Josh Kim, gave responsive talks and testimonies on what was shared. The purpose of the Rooted Conference was to contextualize and apply Surge's material for people of color, specifically people of color who minister across cultural and racial lines. The conference, which was small um, and planned to be small was and, and semi-private, was a blessing, a huge blessing and success. It was just great hearing testimonies from one another and interacting around the table. Uh, we were comforted and refreshed as ministry leaders um, by what we heard and what we were sharing with one another. And a profound thing happened at the end of that, of that rooted conference. After being renewed and restored and reminded of God's grace, guess what? We all went back to ministry, right? <laughs> we, we all, we didn't stay on that mountaintop. We didn't stay in that room, right? Uh, we, we all went out to our world. We went out to share and to care and to worship, uh, to, to live out holiness in our personal lives and world. With all the struggles and sin and problems we discussed and, and we huddled and gathered and comforted each other, why would we go back? Why would we come back? Even move on, some people, to more and deeper. And, and like some surge conferences at the end, after teaching you all about grace and getting all fuzzy on the inside, call you to sign up to be missionaries in some foreign country. Why? It's safe to say, grace made us do it. Grace made us do it. You see, in our society... Nine times out of ten, the end of wellness, it's a popular word these days, whether physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, is about doing you, right? About being a better you, a stronger you, knowing yourself better. But we must end this series on being grace-filled, not in ourselves and for ourselves only, but grace-filled to give it to lose yourself to it, to forget yourself and then know yourself for the glory of God and his good and love for others. Sure, it is good to you and for you, but being grace-filled is ultimately not just about you. It is about getting the Lord, it's, it, it, sorry, it's about the Lord getting and giving through our grace-filled lives, that we would live like God's grace made us to do it. In three ways I want us to see today. First, grace makes us belong to the Lord. Secondly, grace makes us attractive to the Lord. And finally, grace makes us active for the Lord. The effect of being grace-filled makes us belong attractive and active. In our Ephesians passage, we get a concise description and synopsis of how grace worked, right? Uh, to, to make us belong to God as sons and daughters. That we were once, apparently, someone else's children. Orphans belonging 
to a broken and sinful world. But then in verses four and five in our reading, it says this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And we have spent a good part of the last few weeks, I mean, few months rather, dissecting that grace. That grace that made and makes us belong to God. In fact, it is clear why I say made and, and make, and we can agree, agree to this, being his decision and desire, the being the de decision and desire of God himself. In fact, in chapter one of Ephesians, it says that he, God, our heavenly father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Right, hear this, that we should be blameless. Why? So that we should be blameless before him. That in love, scripture says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. The message translation puts it this way. Long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind, right? He had settled on us as the focus of his love to, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Isn't that amazing? You are a believer by the Lord's doing. That's what grace has taught us. He did what must be done to make us his so that we could and would forever no longer be our own or anyone else's but his for his glory, for his plans, for his love. And our Corinthians passage takes this belonging to God to a whole different level, doesn't it? Look at how the Apostle Paul puts it for these uh, Roman Empire-minded folks in verses 14 and 16 of our reading. It says this, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things, he asks. Back in the day, just kind of explain this to you. Back in the day, uh, the emperor or the, the conquering emperor, the, the one who won the battle, after the battle would parade through the streets, right, with all the prisoners of war following, right? He'd parade those who he had won over, who would become slaves or in servitude to the emperor and his kingdom, or may, maybe, the, this is the morbid side of it, 
even sacrificed in some kind of ritual to their god or emperor. This was the pagan way of doing things. Thus why he talked about the fragrance there. When countries would conquer some countries and some situations, when they would conquer a, a nation of people, oftentimes they would burn the bodies of the victims and to mask and then cover the smell of burning flesh and smell of, you know, all the stuff, and at the same time celebrate the victory as good, thanks to their emperor or God, so that that fragrance, right, the, the, they would burn incense, and that fragrance, the aroma of incense was a good thing if you had won, but a bad thing if you had lost. We cut to the chase here. We believe we belong to God because Christ was sacrificed, right? He was scorched. He experienced the fires of hell for our sins. And it is the aroma of his grace going up to the Lord, of his sacrifice going up to the Lord as covering our sin and at the same time taking our sins away. That was and is pleasant to God. So and as we are captured by God away from Satan and sin's, sin's kingdom and taking into God's kingdom citizenship, we can belong. You see, God gave Jesus over to be sacrificed so that we could belong to God. H hear this though, not as his slaves of war, not to be paraded as slaves of his victory, but Paul says triumphant, right? So we are being paraded as those who are now future heirs, the adopted children of God who used to be the enemies of God and belong to the, and used to belong to the enemies of God who have been liberated from belonging to the world to become, hear me, sons and daughters who serve as if God were their father, made so by the grace of God. How did you come to belong to God? To be a child and servant of the Lord? Grace made you to be it and one to do it, to serve God, to follow God, to belong to him and his kingdom, no longer your own, no longer following in the ways and purposes of your own kingdom, no longer orphans, no longer slaves, no longer enemies of God, but belonging to the kingdom vision and mission and plans of God as his child, as, a, as freed people, as public servants and representatives for the Lord and his grace through Jesus. You believers have been made sons and daughters who are not just made captives of the grace of God but those who are captivated and moved by the grace of God. Grace didn't and doesn't just make us belong. It made and makes us attractive to the Lord that we belong to. Look at verse four through seven, and that's our Ephesians passage, I believe, as it tells us, um, why God made us his. It says here in verse four again, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love 
which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, right? Made us alive together with Christ. Says this, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, hear this, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then look at our Corinthians passage. Again, verse 14, it says this, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who have been saved. This is crazy. Grace has made you attractive to God because of what he did for us in Jesus. And do you know why? The holy God wanted children to just love on. It's that simple. Not some theologically deep point. He, he just wanted children, people, to just pour out his love. And as, as Ephesians says, just to show kindness to. He just wanted to give things to them that they couldn't get for themselves. He just wanted to, 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 to lavish us with, with gifts of his grace. That, that's why God wants you. That's why God wanted you. I know y'all been around babies, you know? Sometimes, you know, I see a baby too small, I get scared. You forget. I got two grown boys, so I know how to not break them, right? But man, when that baby smile at you, and forget the diaper thing for a minute, this early before they start eating their real food, The sweet smell of a baby? And you know me, you know, look at the legs and them feet. Oh my gosh, you just want to eat them, right? You just want them close. God loved and wanted you before you were his. But now God just likes and is attracted to what his righteousness in Christ has made you and destined you for. Here's an interesting thought. The eternal, divine Lord of the universe just wants to enjoy you. You ever just want to enjoy, like, a friend, or your children, or... Something good to eat. I mean, that's kind of lowers it, I know. You just want to enjoy it. What does this have to do with doing it, right? What's this have to do with the mission? There's something motivating, and this is what Scripture is teaching, about knowing you look good and are loved by somebody, isn't it? When you know somebody think you look good or 
you loved, you show off. You ever seen somebody, they're just strutting around and you, you look at them and you're like, I'm not impressed. But when you think you look good, I've seen people, yeah, man. What, what? Ah, uh, I don't know. We even say it, us, us haters, we say it. Look at them, they think they look good, right? You work hard. If, if I were to just really, like, if we were to do a psychological experiment and a group of us were to be like, okay, we're just going to tell that person every day, they are cool, they look good, we want to be around them, trust me. Automatically, they're going to work harder not to get the love, but because they got the love. Believers' good works and holy living is gratefulness of already being special to God. See, it is not earning righteousness. Righteousness is about your relationship with God. Christ has already given you that or trying to make yourself attractive to God. It is knowing and believing that Jesus already and completely makes you attractive to God by his grace. The gospel is calling God's people, here's the calling now, to live like and obey like and worship like, you know that God wants to enjoy you and be with you and be good to you. <laughs> to, uh, see, and we get it twisted. Holiness is my duty, like, uh, because I, I've just got to do right, right? No, you already right with God. So, so what, what is the Christian life about? It is actually living out like you know and experience his grace. Not like you are trying to get it, but like you already got it. See, mission and obedience and worship happens because God's grace towards you made you do it. Your faith and faithfulness, as Ephesians is telling us, is a gift of God's grace coming to fruition in your heart. So Ephesians says in verse 10, that's how and why we are made to do and put on good works. And as Corinthians says, give the smell of someone who is actually not only in love with God, but loved by God. I know this is hard because love and everything else in our world, you have to earn it, right? You have to, to, to make somebody be attracted to you. You have to make people respect you and, and do right by you. And you gotta stand up for yourself. The gospel is our world turned upside down. That we do it because someone has already completely loved us. It doesn't seem like that'll work, but that's how grace motivates believers. You know, things are getting serious between two people when you let someone else dress you. Isn't that true? Or buy your perfume or cologne. You know, I probably dressed and smelled a little stink. Kelly came in my life, and she made, like, loving suggestions. Baby, don't wear that shirt. This one looks so much nicer on your nice body, right? Like, you gotta, you gotta go ahead and show your love and you're accepted, right? Like, baby, try soap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? Like, try this soap. 
baby, are you um? You 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 rinsing off and washing good enough? Like, but not you stink, but I love you. This would be good for you. That kind of love. And I see some, I mean, I've lived long enough to see people go from, you know, liking somebody to moving it on up. And the person, like, they used to look a certain way. And then one day they come in with a haircut. You're like, what happened to you? Hair looking good, smelling good. What happened? I'm loved. Somebody loved me. And I'm willing to dress for them. If they say, this cologne smells good on me, I'm buying it. I don't care what the rest of y'all say. Y'all better get with the love that I'm in, right? The passage in 2 Corinthians, when it talks about having the fragrance and aroma of Christ to God, right? It is saying that our lives are wide open to God, that we are convinced that we want him to dress us, that we want him to tell us what, what smells good on us, right? God has won us and triumphed over our hearts with his love, and we are captivated and captured by the way he makes us feel weak and strong at the same time, right? SWV. Song from the 90s that Kanye redid as a gospel song. See, some of y'all thought it was just a gospel song when you listened to Kanye's new album. Nah, we knew SWV on the dance floor, y'all. You don't want to be looking at somebody you're on a date with, I get so weak in the knees. Right? You got me, baby. Right? But he's redone it, right, as a gospel song about how our love, God's love for us makes us so weak in the knees, right? It just, it opens us up wide for him. How much more should the grace and love of God make you do it for the Lord? Bow to the Lord. Obey the Lord. Follow the Lord. Be used by the Lord. Be a little extra for the Lord. Do whatever, wherever, and however he likes and asks you to do it. Not just privately the Bible is teaching, but publicly. Our Corinthians passage makes that clear. It says that he, we, 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 we triumph in Christ Jesus. And it goes on in verse 14 and 16 to say that we're paraded in the streets. We're paraded as God's people. That ain't private. It's a parade. <laughs> and you in it. The apostle saying salvation, adoption, being redeemed is a publicly lived out spectacle, right? And, and that the fragrance and aroma of grace at work in our lives is not private. You ever see people back in the day, man, when I was in middle school and high school, it was the polo cologne that came out and people used to douse themselves with it. And they would, it, was, it wasn't private. You go to a dance, it was public. 
Is this the polo dance? Must be. That the smell of God's children is not between them and God. Right? But all out for the world to sense and see and know something about him based on how believers, his servants, his children, how they follow him and display him and work out their love for him and acknowledge their attractiveness to him. Sorry, y'all. I needed that preacher's mic today. What we see in this triumphant parade of God's grace is that it is designed to let the world know who he is and what the Lord is like by looking at our lives. What we see in the triumphant parade of God's grace is that, he is, that it is designed to let the world know through our many paraded stories and lives. When I think, look at this room, I can't imagine the amount of stories and situations and, and, and circumstances that the Lord went into. Like a, a conquering uh, uh, emperor, right? Or a conquering king. He went into your world, right? Into your heart, into your situation, it, it, behind the walls of your personal cities and into all the little nuances and relationships and nooks and crannies and closets and, and whatever else. And he went in and he got you, each one of you, and now parades you together as his. And all you can think is, how magnificent, how amazing must God's grace be that each one of you has been captivated by the love of Jesus Christ. Like the world needs to see that. You know, it, it, it's cool. We got the multi-ethnic church. That's nice. You know, we are the world and all of that, right? Ebony and I, whatever. We, we good. Like we can get past that, you know, surface stuff. And, and when I look out and I see you, uh, regardless of the skin color on the outside, it just adds to the fact that we different, right? But when I look out, I'm like, my Lord, how did you do it, Lord? I know how many problems I got. Like, I, I know how complicated I am. You know, everybody thinks this stuff more complicated than the next person, right? And all of you in here, this is God's parade? Y'all ain't amazing. He's amazing. Now y'all amazing because he's amazing. Right? You guys are an incredible spectacle. I can just look out and I know some of you better than others. And what I know blows my mind and heart about what God can do. The point is, grace made you his so you can display the good news to the world and how you live. And hear this, live your life in such a way that the aroma of God's love and grace can be known in a broken world. The Lord doesn't want to just privately enjoy you in the secret place. Oh, we love secret little places, right? I do, ain't nothing wrong with it. But the parade too, right? No, the Lord wants to show us off. You know, don't you want to show your stuff off? 
your people off, you know, somebody on your arm off, like it's, it wasn't how, how, how he got her, right? Like, but, what is it about him, right? Huh? What, what's going on? You, you want to show off what is special and, and beautiful to you. And believe it or not, you are beautiful to the Lord. And, 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 and think about what the parade says. To have our brokenness that was saved by grace all out there. Again, to have our individual little stories of faith. He wants the world to see and know and feel and experience that we were people who had to be captured. That we were people who were slaves to all kinds of stuff. That we had no hope. That we were the bad kids. Right? That we all needed the Son of God to die for us and burn for us and hang for us. Do you smell that? It is the telling of the story of people saved by grace. We are not supposed to be privately a privately traded holy group. Sure, believers, and I use this term, yes, being a believer is exclusive because God is doing it, but it is not private. As you belong to God, your faith, your life, your way of talk, walking and living this life no longer belongs to you. Oh, you tricked us, Pastor Brown. You with the nice stuff about we belong to God. And I'm going to let you know, you belong to God. Now your life no longer belongs to you. That's hard to hear. I, you know, Christianity has become something that belongs to you. Like God designed it so you can belong to him and y'all can have a nice little cute, cutesy relationship. And that's it. That's really God belonging to you. And that's true too, theologically, but do you belong to him? Is your life his now? That's what the scripture is asking for and calling us to. If verse 10 in Ephesians says what? That, that we are God's workmanship, what? So that we may walk, that we would do good works and walk in them. Someone would think you're crazy if you're just doing this, right? No, you're walking. You're going somewhere. Where are you walking? As 2 Corinthians says, you're walking in the parade of God's grace. All out in the world. Right? He makes this passage, and, and, and though this is specifically about Paul's ministry as an apostle, he makes this passage a general application, y'all ready? To all believers. With the parade illustration. And so when he says this, let me go back to it. When he says this in, in, in verse um, 17, look at verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity. So he says, we're not playing around with God's word. This is really who we are. We're not selling a widget. We are the widget, right? We're not selling a good. We are the good. It's in our bodies. It's in our lives, right? But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. He's speaking to and about all believers. I'm just a crazy one who gets up here on Sunday and does this. But I'm looking at a room filled with people who are commissioned to speak for Christ. Uh-oh, 
I didn't know this was, this, we're going to have a mass commissioning service this morning. Ready? Y'all commissioned by Christ to share the good news. Amen. Amen. Y'all want me to kiss it? Whatever. You want something special? Blow on y'all what? Right? The, the scripture's already blown on you. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's blown in you. You're commissioned by the highest authority, the Lord. Look at this pervasive call, though. And it makes sense why it's everybody. To one, he says, a fragrance from death to death. We'll get back to that. To the other, a fragrance from life to life, who is, the, who is sufficient in, in, in these things. Wait, wait, wait. I, I, I'm in the wrong place. Oh, okay, yeah, verse 14. Sorry, y'all. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him just in our lives. Is that what the scripture says? No, just just me and Jesus. We used to have a prayer group called uh, Jam, Jesus and me. Just like, and we thought that was cool. Just Jesus and me, right? Just on church on Sunday, just in community group, just around my Christian friends, right? Just in holy spaces, right? I think that thing says everywhere. Wait, the fragrance of Christ should come everywhere, but where does the fragrance of Christ come from? It just float from the sky? No! Who's the fragrance of Christ to God? You. Where? Everywhere. Who? Everyone who's a believer. Can we just go back to that touchy-feely grace? Nope, it's going to get worse, right? If you're trying to be selfish, right? But before, you know, before the term evangelical became a term describing politically pimped by the right people, right? It meant what it really means. And why I still consider myself an evangelical. It means people of the gospel. Yeah, you hear that word evangelism in there. It means people of the word. People of the good news. Now, that's not what they mean on CNN when they say evangelicals. They mean people who vote a certain way. I'm sorry. I hate that. When they do, I, I learned something. When they do like the, the surveys, people, the people consider themselves evangelicals based on where they are politically, not spiritually. Are you an evangelical? Yes, because I support these two issues. Oh, my gosh. Do you know Jesus? Nah. I worship everybody, but I'm in the evangelical camp. That's what I'm saying. It's kind of been, you know, hijacked a little bit, term-wise in certain circles. But up in here, an evangelical is a person who, is a, or who are people of the good news who are out in their lives. Now, it did, the term did transform in a good way because evangelical would mean you, the people of the good news, live out your faith everywhere and everything. Thus politics, thus social issues, thus social justice, right? So that's how it got kind of mixed in. And then someone said, hey, this is a voting block. No, it isn't. We work for the kingdom. You can't own us. You can't have us. We don't belong to us. How can you have me when I don't even belong to me, right? Well, you might get my vote, 
but you don't have me. You don't have evangelicals. It just don't make sense. Evangelicals, how can you, we belong to a heavenly kingdom. When this one ends and the American flag is no more and every other flag's no more and no more voting and Jesus comes back, evangelicals, people of the good news. Believers should be on a mission and vision of what God is all about and what his kingdom is all about and telling and sharing with and bringing and showing and serving others with it just by the way we do what we do in our everyday, everywhere, sometimes a little extra lives. And I don't know what that might be for you, being on mission to love your friends and family better. Meeting with our community outreach and missions team, we got one of those, and getting involved in the community or world in a significant way, maybe going to bingo across the street, maybe it's hosting the kickback for teenagers at your home, right? You need to get a bigger, big, large screen TV, right? One of them smart ones. Not so you can watch the game, that, that's a benefit, but so the kids can come over, let's go to the Browns house, they got the biggest TV, yes! This is not a setup. <laughs> Like, go get a PlayStation. Why? Mission everywhere. <laughs> oh, my man is this big on the TV at the Browns house, right? NBA 2K, whatever. But maybe it's starting a ministry. Maybe it's actually showing up for nursery. Right? Pastor Brown, don't do that. <laughs> and maybe if you're not feeling well, maybe it's actually making two or three more calls to get a sub. That's what the gospel is about because it's about not being about you, right? Maybe it's, it's, it's it, or thinking VBS this year uh, that I'm going to give and bring all I can to display God's goodness to young people. You know, it, it ain't nothing big. Right? Maybe stepping up and stepping into a ministry team right here at our church. If you sitting here and your faith is just as selfish as ever, <laughs> that ain't grace at work. Well, I do my devotion every day. Great! That's a nice start. Like, is, do you want a cookie? You don't get a cookie for that. You already got the cookie. Now eat your cookie and move on. Right? Maybe it's volunteering somewhere. Maybe it's taking that position at work. Maybe it's taking a demotion to put yourself in a better position. Maybe it's taking that promotion to get in a position where you can affect change like, and love your neighbor and, and, and be innovative and, and progressive in ways that would love our community and neighborhoods and world. Not because you want to be on the front page or something. You, that may end up happening, but because you are seeking and living out loud the aroma of God, that, right? The aroma of Christ to God in you. You know, that's what, you know, that's one thing that attracted me to being Presbyterian. Why are you a Presbyterian? Like, why? What's wrong with you? Because one thing I heard was this idea of a world and life view that we would saturate our worlds with the kingdom of God and his love and grace, not just in little uh, sacred areas, but every place Christ's kingdom could come. And you know what that is? Wherever, as the song says, the curse is found. And there ain't one place in this world the curse ain't found. Maybe some of y'all need to contact Brittany or somebody and go overseas.
It's time. I know it's kind of crazy. But God parades everywhere. Let me move on because we got to get this wrapped up. But I'm going to say this. God's grace makes us unsatisfied. What, what Martin Luther King Jr. called divine dissatisfaction. If God's grace is not everywhere. We ain't done. All right, moving on. But as good as that smells and sounds in a sermon, I'm all revivalistic. Everybody want to sign up now? Apostle Paul is basically telling us all good news ain't good news to everybody. He says to some, it's aroma something good. To others, it stinks. Some people love it. Oh, here comes the Christians. Some people, oh, here comes the Christians, right? If you don't believe that, think about how good news sounds different to different people. Ready? In a church of single, married, married with children, no children, uh, single again, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Wow, look, I'm engaged. Good news? Not to some of us. Right? <laughs> I'm pregnant, yay! Good news? <laughs> Not to everybody. Right? We went on a great trip to this foreign country when it was romantic ever, the bluest, whatever, yay! Good news? Not to some people, because we can't afford to go. Things ain't going right in our lives. We can't have children. I want to be married, and I can't right now. Right? Isn't it amazing? In a fallen world where broken things are going on in people's lives and in their hearts, what should be shared as good news can be the stench of something bad. Hey, great. Some of us are going somewhere to eat after church. Isn't that good news? No, if you weren't invited. Right? I just want you to see how what we have is the love of Christ can be taken. The, the call to go out to share your faith, to be public with your love for God by loving others and serving in the world will be met with hatred and resistance. In fact, the world that you believers were captured and adopted out of is the same world God wants you to be paraded through. It hasn't changed since you left it. In verse 15 and 16, in Corinthians, Paul says, um, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death and the other fragrance from life to life. And he asks this, who is sufficient for these things? The good news of the faith, the good works that we will do will be met with hatred, resistance, difficulty. God loves me. Somebody else. I hate them, right? I saw a bumper sticker. Imagine the world without religion, like, right? Imagine the world without God, that John Lennon thing, right? Wouldn't it be better if there weren't Christians? Some people think the world would be better if there weren't believers. They hate the gospel. It doesn't smell good to them. 
me tell y'all, here's the crazy thing. It's not just the world. It's the world in here in each one of us too. All right? Oh, uh, we, we're not going to blame this on the world. That makes this whole public faith thing not feel or smell too good to us. A pastor once said, the whole lost world you will discover is in each one of us. That there is a, there is a, there is a, a unreached people group in your own heart. We're afraid and hate the gospel too. It scares us. It, it reveals our insecurities. It makes us feel insufficient. When I talk about go sharing your faith, I get scared. I'm like, why are you saying that, Pastor Brown? And I'm thinking to myself, you hypocrite. You hadn't gone and talked to your new neighbors across the street. They've been there for six months. Right? Because I'm afraid. I don't want to do it. I'm afraid they're going to find something I won't be able to do. They're going to see me not be loving or something. I want to prepare you for what Paul is saying about the gospel, not just for the world, the evil world out there, because it reveals the believer's insufficiency. And, and what we do is we bury our faith. We hide it instead of going on mission. Paul says we, we're commissioned, but we decommission ourselves and only see the way the gospel can hurt us and expose our insecurities and fears. Paul admits he's not sufficient within himself to be missional. And then we go in, uh, we go and live that way. I'm going to close with this. I asked my dad for a violin once when I was five because he made me to love it. He was in the symphony, played the violin himself. I used to go to the symphony concerts and all this stuff. I wanted to be like and with him in the music world. And boy, I was so happy when he brought me a violin at age five. And then it got hard. Because he wanted more out of me and for me than I thought I wanted. I thought the violin was just about me and him and my practicing in the downstairs bathroom. That's where I practice. And him coming in and listening and helping. Yeah, that was part of it. But I quickly learned that that was a thing between me and my father. That that thing would be about a world he knew. That he saw that I couldn't to share the sound to share the story of a little kid who could play the violin. And sure, it was good for me at times, but it was more difficult to be public with it. Like it was my dad's design. It felt like in his direction. What was between us was made to be shared with the world in concert and symphony with others who played as well. But man, it brought out all my insecurities. Think about it. You can mess up and the whole world is going to see it. You could let yourself the symphony and everyone else down. I was so afraid, like, and everybody would stop. Ah, 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 I would keep going. You were out there to lose. And what was something between us could be something I eventually hated that my dad asked me to do. Right? I would just go to practice and go and perform, and then performance could easily become the goal. I was not sufficient to do it. The Apostle Paul, feeling this himself, said in verse chapter 3, says this, For in this confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the, let, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In my young theological experimental days as a Christian, I was testing out all kinds of things. 
Some of y'all tested other stuff out. I tested theology out, okay? And we were talking about the Trinity. And someone was going around teaching that the Holy Spirit is like the mama of the Trinity. Okay, that's not true. Let me say that out loud. Since Jesus is the Son and God is the Father. But in the fullness of God, we get everything perfect in all our human relationships. When it was time to go and do what I did with my violin at seven, eight, nine years old, before a room church full of people, I would fall apart inside. I hated it. I would pray that something would go wrong so I wouldn't have to get up to the play. It was like death. I, I melted in fear of failure and a group of boys in the corner teasing me. My dad's expectations, my own expectations. And y'all, it never failed. My mama would be out there and she would catch my eye. And she would do this smile and then this wink, right? And all of a sudden, I would lose myself in her love, right? I, I would just do it out of what I was feeling with her. I want you to know, grace works this way. As we give it, as we live on the edge, as we live in fear, as we share our faith, oh, the Lord catches our eyes once again. And he assures us and fills us anew with the grace that we're called to share. Get up, child of God. Get out, people of God. Lose yourself. Get outside of yourself. Let grace motivate you to do what grace made you to do. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it is hard to get outside of ourselves. Things are scary. Things are difficult. We pray that the grace that we've known through you would motivate us. We're going to go to work tomorrow, school, and we're going to feel the insecurities and insufficiencies of loving you, of loving our spouse and loving our good friends. We need you. The grace that you call us to, it's going to expose our insufficiencies. It's going to expose our insecurities. But it also will bring out the fact that we need and lean on your love. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. Let us know that sufficiency in Christ Jesus. We pray and ask. Amen.